Hi, and welcome to the final episode of Behind the Painting, the show where we explore the side of the art world not normally seen. We're very lucky today to be joined by Lawrence Hendra, an art dealer for Philip Mould & Co. I really wanted to focus on art dealerships for the final episode, as these places where art is bought and sold seem to be the epitome of the art business world. Philip Mould & Co. is a high-end art dealership situated in Pall Mall that specialises in old master British art. I went there to interview one of the team that works there. I'll let him explain his job and role. So, my name is Lawrence Hendra and I work as um, the head of research um, at the Philip Mould & Company gallery here in London. And um, so what, what areas of art does Philip Mould um, specialise in? Well, I mean, historically we've always specialised in uh, British portraiture. So um, typically between sort of 16th century through to um, 18th, 19th century, whereas actually in recent years we've actually sort of slightly expanded that and we now go up to sort of circa 1950 as well. But it's predominantly... Uh, British art and old masters with an emphasis on portraiture. Website for Philip Mould, I saw something that particularly piqued my interest. Part of their job at the dealership was to find and identify lost old master paintings. Lawrence himself had been said to have found lost works by paintings such as Godfrey Neller and Joshua Reynolds. I asked him about how he goes about finding and purchasing old master paintings. And how exactly does the company sort of find and purchase old masters? Well, that's really my job here. My job is to um, sit at my desk and uh, look through, um, well, hundreds, really, of auction catalogues um, every day to try and find things that auction houses or um, sellers, really auction houses, um, would have missed. Um, and we specialise in finding what we call sleepers, which are paintings that have been uh, miscatalogued in the past. So, for example, a portrait of... Um, Mary Queen of Scots um, may have been may have at some point in the past lost its title and may therefore be catalogued simply as a portrait of a lady and so it's sort of my job to sit down and try and establish um, to try and find these um, uh, find these miscatalogued pictures and then we hopefully buy them um, prove our hunch through research and then sell them on again and so you're looking at these a lot of pictures and you're looking and seeing how exactly do you determine uh, this is um, this lost work that has been um, miscatalogued. Well, really, I suppose it's, it comes down to um, experience. I mean, it really, a lot of what we do here, obviously, given its portraiture, um, you can sometimes find um, spot famous faces just through simply recognising them, through having seen endless portraits um, over the years, and. And there are some other cases where we may not know who the portrait is of, but we may know who the artist is. And that, again, is by uh, looking at a painting and sort of pulling it to pieces, really, and trying to establish through studying the way the head is painted, the way the hands are painted, the way the drapery is painted, who the possible artist could be. Um, and then you hopefully satisfy yourself enough prior to the auction to commit to buy it. So moving back to this art dealership mm. you mentioned that you've had to expand your range um, recently mm. is that a sort of necessity because of changing fashions about what people are buying and um, what trends have you noticed recently in terms of what people buy 
Well, I mean, I think that it is definitely the case that the average um, punter now is drawn towards um, towards more modern art, and I'm not not quite sure why. I mean, I think it's it's part of really sort of the world in which we live now. I mean, I suppose if you have you know the latest iPhone, iPad, and whatnot, you want the latest sort of or the most fashionable style of art, and it's fair to say that historical portraits aren't as fashionable now as they may have been in the past but then there are still obviously plenty of people out there who still who do still collect them and do still want them so it's really us um, maintaining what we do sort of maintaining what we're known for and what we enjoy doing um, also um, bringing on investigating other areas that we previously haven't haven't really looked much into but actually now with fashions changing we sort of have the ability to um to, to move into these new areas and to um yeah and to, and, and to, and to really expand i mean like all businesses really you expand you know you sort of move into new un- unknown territory um and that's sort of what we've decided to sort of start doing about five years ago and that we're sort of continuing to do now and um so how many of your your clients who are buying paintings here how many of them do you think are buying it purely for investment purposes? And sort of what are your thoughts on that? Obviously, people can buy art for whatever reason they want, but would, do you have a, like, do you prefer if people are buying it for the love of the art? or? Yeah, I mean, it's, <coughs> it's an inc- interesting question. I mean, yes, of course, we, we prefer people to buy things because they like them. Um, I mean... The investment side of it is slightly more tricky to put your finger on, really. I mean, we have sold things in the past um, to people who, five years later, put them in an auction and achieved a much higher price than what we sold them for. So, um, canny investments are still out there to be made, especially with historical portraits. You know, a portrait of, say, Henry VIII, um, painted in the 16th century, would always would always hold its value very well. Um, so, but the the investment question is um it, it's yeah it's a slightly it's a slightly tricky one really. But I mean we always prefer people to buy things because they like them, um, really. So I mean the the old master market isn't isn't like the contemporary market uh, market for contemporary art in the sense that it's not sort of fueled by sort of speculation. There isn't this sort of idea of. Um, if you buy an old master in five years' time, will it be worth six, seven, eight, ten times what you paid for it? Um, that's not kind of quite how the market works, and the market has always been a very stable um, area for investment, but it's never been one for large gains over a short period of time. So, the majority of people who we sell paintings to buy them because they know, enjoy, and have a very active interest in certain periods, and they want things nice things for their wall that will hold their value I also couldn't let the interview end without asking about whether he encounters forgeries in his line of work it is after all the topic we started the podcast on how often and how many problems do you have with forgery or perhaps more commonly incorrect attribution well to to pick up on the first point forgery it's very 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 difficult to, um, to fake an old master painting it's, it's. I wouldn't want to say easy to, 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 to fake a piece of contemporary art, but it's a lot easier 
to fake contemporary art than it is the old stuff because it's very very difficult to convincingly fake um, uh, thick dirt grime and discoloured varnish which for us is the telltale signs of age really when you look at paintings amongst other things but generally speaking old masters are very 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 difficult um, if impossible to fake convincingly um, if we buy if we look at the the more recent work say 20th century um, paintings and obviously we do have to tread carefully and there are plenty of drawings pencil drawings for example that have have been attributed to Augustus John through dodgy signatures and, and whatnot but that really comes down to experience and that comes down to just making sure you you do your due diligence before um, before committing to them with the end of that interview this series comes to an end although the business of art continues to play an important part in the world. Only recently, in fact, the Panama Papers revealed how closely art is tied in with the lives and dealings of some of the people whose tax-dodging secrets had been exposed in the leak. For example, Russian billionaire Dmitry Rybolovlev, who used offshore entities to shield himself from having to share the massive amounts of money he got from his art investments, which included paintings by Picasso, Van Gogh and Monet. From his wife during his divorce. The business of art then is ever relevant and I feel like in this series I've only managed to scratch the surface. Thanks for listening.